knows tonight that the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, and we have to welcome him. He doesn't force his way in our lives, and he doesn't force his way in the house. And we've, it's up to us to actually welcome that sweet spirit. Thank you, Brother David. Thank you, Lord, for your sweet spirit, that warm, comforting spirit. In spite of how cold we feel, the, the spirit of God, it's, it's comforting. Well, I tell you, in my studying, I feel like I can't get out of the Old Testament. I can't get away from Elijah and Elisha and the Israelites. I don't, I don't know what it is, but I, I just, the Lord has, has kept me there in, in studying the Old Testament as I was kind of reflecting on some things and kind of looking over the Old Testament and the Israelites and how they murmured and often complained about what God was doing. I thought to myself, how dare they? How dare they after what God had done for them? And I just thought in my mind this condemning thought of why would God continue to bless them after they complained so much? And then I just started to reflect on my own life and I thought, I'm not much different than the Israelites. We really aren't. If we think about what God has done for us and we think about our mindset and we think about what we say and how we assume God to be, we really aren't much different in disbelief but it's this wilderness seasons that we can liken ourselves to them so much. It was this wilderness season of 40 years that God brought them through of test and trial. And we all know what wilderness seasons are. I'm sure every one of us could stand and testify of a time that God had brought us through a wilderness. I read a commentary that said, past miracles are convincing, but unless there are fresh evidences of God... The natural man will soon forget and lapse into unbelief again. And I don't care how super spiritual we try to be. We all can fit right into that statement. It's a shame, but it's true. We have to keep seeing fresh evidences of God, and God knows that. But in my studying recently of this passage in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord just dropped a, just a statement in my heart. The manna is gone, it's time to sow. So tonight, for a lesson title, I'd like to use that. The manna is gone, it's time to sow. For every milestone, I understand that there is a, a bridge to be burned. As the last set of Israelite feet crossed over on the other side of the Red Sea and those raging high sea walls collapsed in over Pharaoh and his army, there was no turning back. God transitioned them from bondage to the wilderness. And I'm learning to understand that there's a bondage, there's a wilderness, but there's also a promise. And the way God works, you're never going to skip from bondage to the promise. Because God wants you to really appreciate what he's giving you. So in order for you to appreciate that, he's got to bring you through a wilderness so you really appreciate what he's giving you. God has to prepare us for our promise. There's no easy way about it. We all know that, and we've heard the story before, that when God started them on this journey, when they crossed the Red Sea, there was a shorter way to get to the promise but God knew, I'm not going to waste my goods on a bunch of people that is going to waste it. I'm going to make sure that I'm going to teach them some stuff so they'll appreciate what I'm going to do for them. 
the Bible says, um, in thinking about this process, though, from bondage to wilderness to promise, once you've been come from bondage, though, you should never go back. So the process should never go back to bondage. In fact, it'll go back to wilderness, but it'll, it should never go back to bondage. And if it does, then you've separated yourself from the promises of God. In fact, you have crossed back over the Red Sea, which wasn't an easy journey. So no one backslides overnight. That's what that tells me. No one just decides, I'm not serving God. I'm just going to go back to Egypt. It's not easy. In fact, the Bible says in Romans 8.35, who shall separate us from the love of God? Tribulation or distress or persecution or famine, nakedness, peril or sword. It's not easy to be separated from the love of God. In fact, if someone that easily separates herself back into where they were, I question the fact that they really knew who they were in God in the first place. After Jesus was baptized, the Spirit of the Lord led him to the wilderness to fast and pray for 40 days and 40 nights, which I believe was a spiritual representation of the wilderness that the Israelites had faced for 40 years. So that tells me that we will face wilderness periods in our life, but it's preparation for the promises of God. But we shouldn't go back to bondage, amen? We're free from that bondage. The Bible says, he whom the sun sets free is free indeed. So after 40 years of murmuring and complaining, being tested and going through trials, now they're under Joshua's leadership. So they've crossed that first hurdle of the Red Sea. They've went through the wilderness and Moses and his generation has died off. So Joshua's taken over. And now the only thing that's separating them from their promise is the Jordan River. And the Bible says that it was the same um, wind of the Holy Spirit. And in the Hebrew language, it's, it's translated the Ruach HaKodesh. It's the same breath of God that cleared the path of the Red Sea and the Jordan River. It was that the Spirit of God that, that cleared the path for them. And I can't pass that up to say, I know that it's the same Spirit of God that clears paths for us. It is that same breath of God. The same breath that breathed life into us is the life is the breath that clears the way for us. And, and in fact, the Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Lord will raise up a standard against him. So it's that same spirit of God that goes before us. Um, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16, verses 14 and 15. And then I'm going to skip over to verses 31 and 35. Verse 14 says, And when the dew that lay was gone up, behold, upon the face of the wilderness there lay a small round thing, as small as the hoarfrost on the ground. And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. Verse 31 says, And the house of Israel called the name thereof manna. And it was like coriander seed, white, and the taste of it was like wafers made with honey. Skipping over to verse 35, it says, And the children of Israel did eat manna 40 years until they came to a land inhabited. 
they did eat manna until they came unto the borders of the land of Canaan. Now, there were a few times that God sent quail to them because they were complaining that it wasn't enough. But as I studied, I only found a few times that God actually sent the quail. It was at evening, but it wasn't an everyday thing for them. So manna was what they had to live on. It was, some people would call it angel's food. It was sent from heaven. They'd wake up in the morning and the dew would dry up and then there would be these little piles of seed or something like that. It would taste like wafers and honey. And they would use that to make stuff with and that's all they had to eat. And some people said, well, it doesn't make sense. They had all the flock and the animals with them and they had ground where they were on the move because God was on the move. So I don't know that they had actually time to plant and to sow. So there was a, a really different transition for them in the wilderness. And most of the animals that they had, they had to use them for sacrifices. So they may not have had enough meat to eat for themselves and make sacrifices as well. So they were living on manna. That was their daily bread. Um, I'm reminded of the story in John chapter 6 when Jesus fed the 5,000 with two fishes and five loaves. And after he did this miracle, the people found him and um, they thought that God was sending the manna down from heaven. Well, let me rephrase that. They actually thought that Moses was in heaven. And the Bible says, and they thought that Moses was sending manna down again because they thought, how could this man spread just with two fish and five loaves for all these thousands of people. So Jesus had to kind of get them to understand something. He said in John chapter 6, verses 31 through 35, he said, Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said to them, Verily, verily, I say to you, Moses did not give you that bread from heaven, but my father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Those are some powerful words. And we often skip over that. Jesus said that I am the bread of life. And if you come to me, you'll never hunger. I think about the opportunities that God has given us in our community to feed people. It's, it is a blessing that we are blessed to be able to feed those kids. It is a blessing for us to be able to have a meal big enough to feed hundreds of people here. But we cannot fail to take the chance or when we have the opportunity to tell people about the living bread. See, when God gives us the opportunity, when God gives us, blesses us enough to actually bless people with tangible things, there's got to be, Jesus has to be attached to what we give people. Because otherwise, it's no different than what the world does because there's millionaires and billionaires in Hollywood and that donate to charity every day, that give food every day. It's no different than them if what we give them doesn't have Jesus with it, the true bread. So we can't, we can't just be kind. We've got to give the word to people. That's what sustains them. So Jesus said, I am he, that if you eat of me, you will never hunger again. You will never thirst again. Eventually, they became tired of this manna. The Israelites became tired of this. 
Numbers chapter 11, verse six says, but now our soul is dried away. There's nothing at all besides this manna before our eyes. They call it light food. This is nothing. We're tired of this. Physically, the children of Israel felt they needed more than the manna, but spiritually, they were very immature. God knew they could only handle just a little taste of heaven daily because of their constant state of complaining. They could not comprehend the deep things of God. As I've stated before, God will not waste his glory or his goods on a bunch of people that aren't ready for it. It's too precious. It is too precious. Paul said to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 3, 1 and 2, And I, brethren, couldn't speak unto you as you were spiritual, but I had to speak unto you as you were carnal, even as babes in Christ. He said, I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, and you still aren't able. So Paul wrote a letter to the church at Corinth saying, I've corrected you before, and I brought milk because you had just learned about this, And I'm coming back to you thinking that you should have done matured and you're still acting like babies. You're doing silly things. You're believing wrong things. And I'm still having to bring the milk to you because you're not ready for the meat. And that's just like the Israelites. They weren't ready for the deep things of God. So it was manna that God knew they needed. The wilderness was a time of testing the people who although were no no longer in Egypt, somehow... They still had Egypt inside of them. And God knew that this wilderness was a process that they needed the Egypt out of them. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 2 through 6 says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you, to test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you, he allowed you to hunger, and fed you with manna which you did not know or your fathers did not know. When God brings us through a wilderness, this is exactly what happens. He does it to humble us. He does it to test us. God doesn't have to prove himself. His word has already been proven true, but we are the ones that have to be proven. And so this wilderness process that we find ourselves in is God trying to prove himself through us, trying to prove us what is inside of us. Is there faith or is there fear? Is there doubt? Is there hope? So God was trying to prove the children of Israel just like he does us. God is a, we sing the song, God is a good, good father. We think, well, what is a good father? Is a good father someone who lets their kids scream and cry and throw a temper tantrum because they don't get what they want and then they give them what they want? Or is a good, good father see their child screaming, crying, kicking and screaming because they don't, they're wanting something and the father says, you can sit there and cry all you want. You're not getting it until you straighten yourself up. I, I'm glad that we serve a God that doesn't give us everything we ask. There's some prayers that, that I've prayed for God to move on and I thank God over and over that he didn't work that way because it would have been a train wreck. God knows the future and God's not a God to give you everything you ask for because he knows that some things aren't meant for you to have some things aren't meant for you to be and I thank God for that the Bible says that the manna ceases the manna stopped 
Joshua 5, 11 through 12 says, and they ate of the produce of the land on the day after the Passover, unleavened bread and parched grain on the very same day. Then the manna ceased on the day after they had eaten the produce of the land and the children of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate the food of the land of Canaan that year. So here's what happened. They came through the wilderness and after 40 years, they were at the Jordan River and they put the ark on their shoulders and the Bible says that as soon as the priest stepped foot in the water, the breath of God opened the waters and they walked through and the the ark stayed in the middle of the Jordan River as the Israelites passed through. And when they got to the other side, the Bible says that they ate from the grain or the crops from Canaan. And as soon as they ate from that, the manna ceased. There was no longer that every day or every morning they'd wake up and they'd have provision from heaven. There was no more of that. It, it, it stopped. When they ate now, what, what they ate now was seed from the ground that, that had been sown. Because see, a, a seed comes from a plant that comes from a seed that comes from a plant. And as, as I started thinking about this, something kind of registered, and this is just my thinking. It was a few hundred years prior that their ancestor Joseph was in Potiphar's house, and he had interpreted a vision that there would be seven years of prosperity and seven years of famine. And so God spoke to Joseph to store up the goods in the seven years of goods so that when the seven years of famine came, there'd be enough to disperse out. And during that time of famine, that the seed and the ground had dried up all over Egypt and even in Canaan. Because the Bible talks about how Jacob's sons came to Potiphar's house to get seed. So the very seed that Joseph had stored up under the unction of God could have very well been 100 years later a part of the plant that they stepped over Jordan and partook of. The seeds that we sow for the Lord will last generation upon generation upon generation because the word of the Lord stands forever. It never goes void. So the seeds that we sow today for God, are lasting. They're everlasting. We may not see the fruit of the seeds that we bear, but I guarantee you the word of the Lord stands forever. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 10 through 11, Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness while you are enriched in everything for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving through us to God. So here's what happened. The Israelites went from being consumers of the word only to sowers. When they were in the wilderness and they woke up every morning to that manna, all they did was consume it. There was nothing to sow. But when the manna stopped, God said, I've revealed myself enough to you today. 
when you cross over this Jordan River, you have enough of what I've given you. Now it's time to sow. Now it's time to reap. So what, what I take of that is it's, there comes a point in time in life as a Christian that we've consumed enough of the word of God that we've got to start sowing from what we've consumed. So as a church and as a body of Christ, if all we do is consume amongst each other and preach to each other and teach and encourage each other and we don't give out what we have, then what, what, or what, what have we done? In fact, it's no different than the Dead Sea with inlet and no outlet. We could become stagnant if we hold on to what God has given us. We're made overcomers by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So just by testifying of what God has done, remembering what he has done. In fact, God spoke to Moses and Aaron while they were in the wilderness and said, take a little bit of this man and put it in a bowl and stick it in the Ark of the Covenant so that when generations to come see that, they will remember that God provided then and he will provide now. If we forget to tell people about what God has done, what is, what, what's going to happen? We're just, we're just one generation from forgetting how good God has been. Have we, have we, where, where is that bowl of manna that reminds us that what, what God has done? I know it seems like God don't move like he did before. I don't, I don't, and, and there's some things like, like Sister Marilyn had administered on, there's some things that we do need to be doing. It's true. And I don't understand, but, but where is that bowl of what God did before? We got we to gotta find it somewhere in our hearts, in our mind, or in the word, and look upon what God has done. Because if we forget what God has done, we'll never have the faith to believe for what God will do. We'll, we'll, we will never have the faith to cross over the Jordan River to our promise if we forget what God has done. Well, where is that bowl of manna that reminds us that there is something from heaven that didn't get touched from man? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't crop from man. It was, it was from heaven. I think about, think of your life and think of a generation or two generations before you of how our families before us didn't have much. They couldn't make their miracle happen if their life depended on it. And it was the miraculous that moved for them. It was stories that I hear of there was no doctor around because they lived so far out in the country, they couldn't get to them in the middle of the winter, and they prayed, and fevers were gone, and, and sick people were healed, and 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 and. Where is that bowl of manna that reminds us that God still moves? But what God does now is we have this seed right here. See, we have this seed to sow. So when we take this word and we consume this word, we sow it back into other people's lives. And you say, well, what... How do, you, how do you do that? Well, let's, let's talk about the, the fruit of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, meekness, long-suffering, self-control. Every time you act in love, you won't act without goodness. Because if in, in one thing I want to explain, the Bible does not say that the fruit is plural. It's 
all in one. If you have love, you will be a good person. If you're kind, you will have self-control. But remember, it's the fruit of the spirit. It's not the fruit of the flesh because I don't always have self-control. If I'm not walking in the spirit, then I can't bear the fruit of the spirit. But when I'm walking in the spirit, I will bear this. And this is a way to sow into people's lives just by bearing the fruit of the spirit, loving people that are unlovable, being kind to people that may not deserve kindness, having long suffering or having self-control in a world that goes crazy at the drop of a hat. That's, that, that, those are doors and opportunities and ways that we can sow seed into people's lives. And once they tasted that goodness and once they see kindness, that's our opportunity to sow the word of God into them. To tell them about Jesus. Because it all revolves around the gospel. It's the good news. If you turn the TV on, it's rare that you're going to find good news. It's mostly all bad news. Have we forgotten that as the church, we're the only one with the good news and it ain't fake. It's the real deal. It's been proven. It's been put on trial. It's been tested. Every judge from Caesar to now has tested it and they can't prove it wrong. It's true and it's right. This word will stand forever. We have the good news. So when we when we express love to someone, when we, when we walk in the Spirit and, the, and, we're, and when we bear the fruit of the Spirit, we give them Jesus. Can't be ashamed of it. He said, if you be ashamed of me, I'll be ashamed of you to the Father. Because Jesus, who Jesus, remember this. The only reason that we can go to God is through Jesus. Jesus is sitting on the right-hand side of God right now as we speak. And when you pray, Jesus is speaking to God for you. And if we are ashamed of Jesus, Jesus said, I'll be ashamed of you. So are your, is, your, is our prayers going to get answered if we're ashamed to tell people about Jesus? And I'm talking about being spirit-led, telling people about Jesus. I'm not talking about going, to a, uh, uh, going down to the college and cussing people out for their lifestyle. I'm not talking about going, holding a sign out, telling everybody you're going to go to hell. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about be fruit bearers of the word. And when you bear the fruit and they taste and see that the Lord in you is good, that door is open for you to give them the word. You cannot, see, if the Holy Spirit is a gentleman and the Holy Spirit's not going to force his way in your life or in the service, and if the Spirit of God is working through you, you can't force your way into someone's heart. The Holy Spirit cannot and will not force their way, force his way in someone's heart. So he uses us as we bear the fruit. And the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And when people taste the goodness of God in us, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Once they see the goodness of God in us, their heart is open and they're ready to receive. And you give them the word. You give them the good news of the gospel. That is the only way that we can get to the heart of the people, of the community, of, of our family. It's through love. 
say, well, who does what and what, 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 what do we do or who says this or who says that? How do we get this done? It doesn't matter. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but it's the Lord who gives the increase. It doesn't matter who's given the word. It doesn't matter who's watering the word. All that matters is God has given the increase. See, we're all equal. Pastor Bill is the head, but in God's eyes, in his eyes in ministry, we're on the same level. So whatever we do as ministers, and you are a minister if you're saved and you're a believer, you're supposed to minister to people and be a witness. Maybe not always on this pulpit. You might, you might, water, you might plant a seed, Sister Charlotte, in someone's life in Walmart tomorrow just by the fruit of the Spirit and telling them about Jesus. And Karen, you might run into them in Coles and, and somehow you get in the conversation. For one thing leads to another and you don't know that God has already planted a seed through her and you're able to water that seed. We are only responsible for what God tells you to do. You are only responsible to do the part that God has given you. I've been frustrated before because I thought, well, I'm, I'm uh, going to try to witness to someone and I'm going to try to get them saved right here and right now. And they walk away and they're not saved. And I get just been frustrated until I understand. Then I understood what the word says. You just do your part. God is the one who, God is the one who gives the increase because forgive me, Lord, what happens is I'm wanting the credit if I'm wanting to try to get someone saved and I'm mad because they're not, shame on me. We're all in this together as the body of Christ. Don't matter if I plant the seed. Don't matter if I water the seed. God is the one who gives the increase. Amen. Galatians chapter 6 verses 7 through 9 says, don't be deceived. God's not mocked. We know this scripture. You're going to sow what you reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap corruption, but he who sows to the spirit will reap everlasting life. The Bible says, but let's not get tired of doing what's right because in the right season, you will reap if you don't faint. Don't get tired of watering the seed that you have planted in your family member's life. Don't get tired of watering the seed to the lost person that you work with that's driving you crazy because you feel like that they're, Ground is hard as a brick, like fallow, and it's not. The Holy Spirit is the one that can break that hard, fallow ground up. Just like the parable of the sower threw the seed out sparingly. One thing I love about God is he's not a respecter of person. He doesn't pick a specific person to say, well, I'm just going to just just minister to these groups. I'm glad that it's not just Jews because if it was just Jews only, then we wouldn't have a chance. But God branched out because his own people rejected him. And because of that, he spread his seed out all over the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever, whosoever believes in him won't perish but have everlasting life. So God throws this seed out. He threw his seed out all over time from Beginning of creation, creation, the seed of the word has been thrown out and it gets spread every day. A minister or a Christian, a Christ follower spreads the word of God. Maybe on a hardened heart because of hurt. Maybe on a, 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 a shallow ground that when the sun comes up, that little plant dries up. 
but we are not to get frustrated. We're not to pick specific people to think that we can minister to. Throw that seed out. Be led by the Spirit and let God do the work. Let God do the work. Brother David, if you would come. Our obedience to God will be a seed that will be stored up and will bless generations to come. Seed don't grow overnight. But let me tell you what a seed does to hard ground when it gets watered. If it finds its way down a cracked, dry part of the ground and it gets watered, the roots start to grow and that plant will start to break up that fallow ground and before long, that plant sort of tills the hard ground if it keeps getting watered. That's why we can't give up on what God wants to do through the seed in our lives. We've got to stop being just consumers of the word. And yes, we do have to consume the word because if you don't, you don't have no seed to give. You have no seed to plant. The man has ceased its time to sow. You say, well, I don't, I'm not the greatest in the word of God. Sow what you know. Just sow what you know. Give what you do have. I'm not the smartest person in the world. And Lord, it takes me everything in the world to study and try to remember and comprehend under the anointing to understand what I'm even bringing to you right now. I'm sowing all that I know. It's not much. Just sow what God has given you. Your responsibility. Do your part in the kingdom of God. That's what it takes Lord, help me not to worry about what someone else is doing or not doing. The time we waste in worrying about what someone else should do when I need to be worrying about what I am doing or what I'm not doing, the chances that I'm taking or the chances that I'm not taking. Lord, just deal with our hearts, God. Some of us that have even been Saved for years have got some hardened ground in our own lives that the word of God has got to break up. There's times and points and times in my own life that I've got to let the word of God work on me. And that's what it takes. It's a personal thing. It's a, it's a personal thing. So if you would stand.